I talked to Bob Euchre, by the way. How did you? Did you? Did you see that? Yeah. Was he mad? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> was he real? Was he? What do you mean? Last time I went on Letterman, I told a story about Bob Euchre. Yeah. And what did he say? Does he not remember it? He said, no, no. <laughs> was it a bad story? The story is... Right, don't tell the story. Don't like it. Bob Euchre's 90. I love Bob Euchre. No, he wouldn't know it from this show. How do you know Bob Euchre? Well, that's part of the story. Norm did a commercial for Light Beer. Okay. So it was when we were doing the Norm show. So he invited Norm out to uh, spring training in Phoenix, Arizona, and said, look, man, come come the fuck out to Arizona, man. And, you know, he's the guy you hear on the TV. Yeah, Bob Euchre. Right, but, but he's so filthy when he talks. Every other word is fuck. It's unbelievable. Right. And he's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Right. So Norm says to me, hey, man, let's go, let's go hang out with Euchre, because he knows I'm a big fan, which was nice. So we go to Arizona. And it's the funniest 24-hour period I've ever spent. We played a round of golf with Bob Euchre, and he let us sit in the booth to listen to him announce a, a, a Brewer-Cub game. Okay? Right. Now, um, he had a cough button. You know, you, if you're going to cough, you hit the cough button, right. and, and you're not on the air. Sure. So, from what I remember, Norm maybe not remember this because he's friends with Bob Euchre. But anyway, <laughs> nice. uh, Euchre, Euchre would be announcing the baseball game. Right. And like a fucking jazz musician, it was unbelievable. If he saw a really hot chick in the crowd, he would hit the cough button right. and say something filthy about her, then go right back to announcing the game. It was like magic. So I believe it. You think that's a high risk thing to be doing? That's like walking the high wire. He would say so. He would say shit like this. He'd go, um, "Here's the two-two pitch to Sosa, ground ball to shortstop. Look at the fucking tits on that whore over the first base, two down." <laughs> and he hit the button that quickly. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> so you must have been out of your mind, entertained. And now when you listen to me, wondering. Like during the spaces, what he's saying. Howard, th th that that was that. That's the story I told on Letterman. I cleaned it up. Right, right, right. And uh, he started using like old guy words for the chicks. Like he'd go, uh, "Fly ball to center field." God, I like to get with that trollop. That's the third. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the other thing he did. Let me tell the one other thing he did because yeah. this is amazing. Yeah, he sees. John Fogarty. Oh, that was what I was going to say. Creedence Clearwater Revival. Let me tell that. Yeah. All right, go ahead, Norm. So he sees John Fogarty, you know, from Creedence Clearwater Revival. So he's like, hey, man, that's, uh, that fucker's a rock singer. <laughs> he, goes, uh, he goes, but he can get out of the sand trap like nobody's fucking business. I played in a, in a charity tournament with him. <laughs> We're like, yeah, 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 we know, we know who John Fogarty is. And he goes, uh, he goes, at the seventh inning stretch, I'll have the fucker come up and sing for you. <laughs> Fogarty's there with his kid, by the way. He's here with his eight-year-old son, John right, Fogarty. Right, right. like, no, no, you don't have to do that. Right, don't, don't get John Fogarty to sing Leave him alone. It's right. We don't want him singing in front of us. So then he gets mad at us. He goes, do you even know who fucking John Fogarty is? <laughs> <laughs> and we go, yeah, yeah. He did uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. He goes, yeah, he did all that fucking shit. <laughs> but anyway. So what uh, happened? Did, you, did you well, actually call you after no, Arkansas? No, I went to, I was in Arizona, so I said, I'll go to spring training. Forgetting that, I said, I already do. It was really funny. The, you know, sometimes you do things on TV and you forget that it's a human being you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I don't think it was uh... <laughs> Well, you know what it is? Euchre has a clean-cut image. He has a, He's yeah. one of these guys that broadcasts for a network. Did I get him fired? Yeah. I don't think I did. No, but, but he probably doesn't want it out there that he's busy, you know, talking well, about broads. The other thing he did was, uh, he was on Mr. Belvedere. Right. Yeah. And he found out that the, four years into the show, he found out that the actor who played Mr. Belvedere
reindeer might be a homosexual. Right. So, so uh, we're, 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 we're talking. I asked the question because Fred Wolf told me there was a rumor that Mr. Belvedere, the actor, during a read-through, sat on his own balls right. at a read-through, and I didn't know if it was a myth or not. You know. Yeah. So Euchre doesn't listen to much, oh boy. No, so right. I said to him, I said, "Is it true, uh, Bob, that I, I heard this thing about Mr. Belvedere that he was at a read-through?" And then he goes, "Oh yeah, he was a huge fucking fag." <laughs> He goes, he goes, he goes, I said, I remember you from Mr. Bowden. He goes, that guy was fucking riding up the Hershey Highway. <laughs> nice fucking guy. Though. And then we golf with him, uh, Howard, we're golfing with him. And again, it's a guy you see on TV. Right. And, uh, and like, there's two women in front of us with yeah. two guys. Right. And he's like, what the fuck are these guys doing? And he starts screaming. He goes, start moving. What is that, a gang fuck up there? <laughs> he's really so he's a fun guy. He's the funniest yeah. guy I've ever met in my how life. You, how do you become friends with a guy like you? Or you'd think I the know two of you guys don't would become <laughs> but I just think like two like you two guys would have no reason to get together because you are just a reverend comic. And we did a Miller Light oh, commercial. Oh, that started the friendship. But anyways, I, went, I was in uh, Arizona a couple weeks ago, three weeks, a month ago, whatever, for spring training. I went up to the booth and uh, uh -huh. he goes, man, uh, he goes, hey, uh, what about that fucking Artie Klein? Artie <laughs> <laughs> Klein. <laughs> And then he goes, he said he really does not like Artie Klein anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, uh, he doesn't know Artie Klein. Fuck Artie Klein. Yeah, Artie Klein's an asshole. Yeah. Right. He goes, uh, he goes, uh, the funniest thing is he goes, that cocksucker must be running a little short of material. <laughs> <laughs> Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? What's cracking? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kakalaki. Half man, half podcast machine. Back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. What's up, Seamheads? What's cracking? What's juicy? Want to welcome all of you back for another scintillating edition of Backwards K Pod as the first season is winding down to these last two weeks of 2022. It's been an honor to be your captain this season as we have covered a ton of baseball history through the game's indelible stories, characters, and look, I'm chopping at the bit to get the brand new second season up and moving as I feel like uh, I have some great uh, topics in pocket to cover for you uh, seamhead freaks out here. 
so all my loyal OG soldiers who have been there from day one through all my endeavors, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network Facebook group page, and all the newbie pod surfers who ended up in this barrel and have stuck with me, I just want to extend my sincerest, sincerest thanks to you and let you know that I will never forsake my Seamhead audience. Um... I'm all in, all baseball, 24-7, 365 days, 52 weeks a year. I mean, look, there's, for me, there's baseball at the top, and then breathing, and, and then sex, I guess. And these are a few of the snake's favorite things. There is no off-season. Honestly, I could care less about any other sport. I mean, I still watch them. But, you know, really, who cares? It's baseball, baseball, baseball for me. And I cater to the good brothers and sisters who share this passion and love for the game with me. I'm coming through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And, look, I'm, you know, no Patreon, no crowdsourcing. I told you that since day one. I don't charge you a penny for the content here. I love my audience. I truly do. And... Now, I would never charge my Seamhead Army for the content here at Backwards K-Pop. I know the company that I work for has implied on more than one occasion for me to go that route, but, you know, that's just going to be a hard pass for me. The economy is fucked up, and I just love and respect my audience way too much. So, look, I ain't never going to charge you for the content, but if you would like to donate five stars and well-written reviews of my performance... I'll take that. You can do that on the app or Spotify platforms, uh, especially, or any of these platforms that you might be on. Please remember to rate and review, review me as you see fit. I ain't scared. These reviews keep the show viable. It helps to, uh, you know, and uh, it helps to show in the search engines, puts a little food on the snake's table. So, Backwards K Pod is available on all pa- podcast platforms, wherever you listen to your shows, or... You can visit my website, diamondsnakejake.podbean.com to hear any of the shows I've done and my always expanding vault of archives. Okay. I'm going to get right after this week. Usually I take you through the weekly mail and other show minutia. And, you know, we'll return to that format in a couple weeks. Uh, But I wanted to take a look at this World Cup soccer tournament over here in Qatar. Uh, that just wrapped up. And I know this is a baseball show, but look, every four years, this tourney goes on in some part of the world, and for like a month, the whole world, for the most part, outside of the U.S., is soccer crazy. Um, you know, and look, the problem is I'm not a big phony. I'm not one of these Americans who every four years, I act like I know the fucking game, the players, or even the rules sometimes, honestly. All I know is uh, if the American women ain't playing, then, you know, the Americans have literally 0.0 chance of winning that thing. So instead of acting like I know anything about the world's most popular sport, I figured I would bring someone in who could educate us American mutts, the finer intricacies of soccer, and make, maybe he can tell us here in this country what the hell just happened this past month, or, or uh, you know, like, you know, what just happened, you know, a lot of these players, and I'll be honest with you, I probably watched about 40 minutes of soccer in, in the whole World Cup tournament, which is more than I've ever watched before. So, I guess I'm slowly getting better like the country. I guess. I don't know. It doesn't really look like we're getting much better on the field. I want to tell you that. So, for the very first Backwards K-Pod World Cup wrap-up, 
I decided to bring my man Abel Rosario Jr. He's a you know he's just one of these dudes in the Let's Talk Baseball podcast network group page. He's a, he's family. He's a diehard soccer fan as well as a diehard Mets fan, and he's not one of these dudes who pretends every four years he has a clue. He absolutely loves this game. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome from the Let's Talk Baseball podcast network. Facebook group page, Mr. Abel Rosario. Hey, Abe, how you doing, brother? Good, good, good. Thank you. You forgot that I'm also Dominican. I love soccer. That's right. That's right. That's right. My, my brother is Dominican. In fact, uh, one of the reasons I'm having you on here is because I really feel like I missed the boat when I did the baseball Dominican show. And I, honestly, it's the one. Sh- it's the one show in my archive. I'm not really impressed with the production value on that. And I'm thinking sometime next year I'd like to get together with you and do a uh, a round two of that uh, Dominican Republic show if you would be no, down for that. No problem. No problem. I'm just wanna. Tell you that uh, I'm happy to be in your show, even if even if I have to uh, talk about soccer in this baseball show. So, yeah, I'm, man, it's awesome. Look, man, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. Usually, I'm I'm usually a closed-minded American when it comes to soccer. This year, I really did try to open up a little bit. I'm actually I don't know if you are aware of the uh, the Wrexham team in Wales that Ryan Reynolds and the dude from uh, um, what's that show called? Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Did, have you heard about that? The, the the team in Wales that they own, Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool guy. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, they own their soccer team. Yeah, and like they're at the bottom of the barrel, brother. I mean, they're like, you know, remember the Oakland A's and Moneyball when he's like, okay, there's there's fifty feet of shit, and then there's us. Like that's how the Wrexham was, pretty much. And uh, I've been watching their show, and it has given me an appreciation for the show. So I went into the World Cup this year, you know, I, with more of an open mind than I've ever had about the World Cup. Um, now it did come down to Argentina and France. Uh, from what I heard, it came down to a shootout or whatever. Why don't you give us a little recap of that championship game in your eyes, what you saw? Well, that, so, in that game, well, it's very tight because the Mbappe and Messi, the two biggest world stars in the world. Right. Hey, before you go on, I have to ask you this question. Do those two guard each other when they're on the pitch? Um, you could see them uh, uh, with each other at It's not. You know, it's not like a head to head kind of matchup. You know, quarterback on wide receiver it, deal, right? This is, yeah, this is not like basketball. Gotcha. Okay. Or, uh, you know, two stars can face each other. Sure. You know, the, defenders, mm-hmm. the defenders will guard them. So, so, but for me, Mbappe, he's he scored the first hat trick in the final in over half a century. Wow. He finished the game sitting on the grass, sadly. But he shouldn't be, you know, so sad. Yeah. I mean, he gave it his all, right? I mean, he left everything out of the pitch. How old is that kid? He's only 23. Do you think he's the best soccer player in the world right now? Right now, he is. Wow, a Frenchman, huh? A French, yeah, a Frenchman. Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, he was sitting on the grass, and you could see the president of France trying to console him. And he... That was an invited guest at the, right. the game, mm-hmm. and, and the Argentinian. You could see the Argentinian players going all around him, celebrating, and he's sitting there, right? Just you know, trying to be consoled. Right, it truly is like the, that image of uh, the agony of defeat and the thrill of victory. Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, the tournament was, you know, it, it was um, a high fever pitch. Mm-hmm. It was held in the winter, November, for the first time since 1930. Wow. Now that I yeah. did not know. Let me ask you, and I'm sure you've seen many more World Cups than, than I have. W- would you rank this as a great tournament? Would you say this is one of the great tournaments? Yeah, I think this is one of the best uh, championship sports game i ever seen. Really? Interesting. Okay. It has a lot of dramas. Mm-hmm. It's a game in which the, the team, uh, Argentina, had a 2 nothing lead, and we had a comeback. We had hat-trick by Mbappe, and we also witnessed Messi's greatness. Right. Maybe it's a way party for him. He scored his own three goals, including the penalty kicks. Um, mm. But he came up. He came up with a dramatic last goal at, at the at the overtime. Wow! And, and then the penalty kick started. His penalty kick, kick started the uh, the drama in which you know they all scored the penalty kick on, until the French people, the French players, had two misses. And then, right. Yeah, and that's what happened. Let me ask you something, uh, and I, I know that's that's a that's kind of a problem with the, the American fan bases. You know, you run around for ninety minutes plus, and then you end it with a shootout. What's your feeling on games being decided by shootouts? Um, it's unfortunate for for a hardworking uh, team that did their best and played outplayed the other team and then they have to go into penalty kicks right but I mean as for me you know we cannot go five hours and then true do you think then, you know, do, do you think they could add do you, do you think they could add substitutions to the deal if it goes into overtime maybe they could do something like that they could I mean if they can't uh, the FIFA has to, you know the, the governing board ruling they can uh, decide on that but they have to uh, yeah have the they have to have the world. Yeah, and I, I would assume that it would be kind of hard to change a rule like that. I mean, this is a very old sport. It's had these fucking rules for, you know, uh, centuries. So, you know, it, it's a truly old sport, and I'm sure it's a lot tougher to, to change a rule in soccer than just about any other sport. Um, let, let me ask, how old is Messi, by the way? He's 35. Okay, so he's still got a little time left, huh? Or, you know, yeah. okay. But, um, you know, but maybe if he turns 39, I don't think he'll be able to uh, make the team. Okay, I got you. This could be this last one. Sure, sure. And uh, how long has it been since Argentina won won a cup? It's been quite some time, hasn't it? Since 1986. Wow, it's been that long, huh? Wow. Maradona was the last one. Yeah, that's the last one. That's unbelievable. Wow, that is amazing. I was a teenager, and I actually remember that. Um, All right, so I'm going to tell you one thing. Watching the highlights of Argentina and France is... I don't even know what the Americans are playing. I, I, that's like a whole nother four levels above what the United States is playing as far as I'm concerned. And maybe I'm just a novice and I'm not reading it right. But what do you think about the future of the U.S. soccer team here? Okay, so uh, I've been reading a lot um their future. Uh, you know, the U.S. is the second youngest team in Qatar. Okay. At, at this moment. And through Saturday's matches... The coach, Greg, he fielded 
four of, it, of the tournament's five youngest starting lineups. Mm. Okay. The number of players who will be entering their prime over the next four years, leading to the North America, which is in 2026, mm-hmm. far exceeds the number who will be aging out. Okay. So I think they were, you know, they're in the same, you know, the same level as other countries like Mexico, Chile, Colombia. Right. They- even Japan. I mean, those are examples of other teams with that level. But, you know, I, I mean, it, the improvements are there. You can see it. And the, the recruits are improved. But they could do as much as, like, baseball do, does. You know, in Compton here in California, mm-hmm. uh, Baseball Academy, for the young players here for baseball, they could do the same thing in the urban areas for the soccer. Right. And, you know, a lot more uh, interest for for soccer, and I, I I'm for sure they're going to be a lot of young kids who looks you know who looks at the World Cup and they want to be one of the great ones. So sure, I sure. Think, I think I think you're onto something there. Uh, you know that that is probably the best way. You know, I kind of look at this as like you know the rest of the world in basketball before the dream team. You know what I mean? Like you know, we got some talented athletes here. I mean, we should have some of the most talented athletes in the world. Quite honestly, with the technology and the diet and, and the money that we have, you know, we should be able to produce some some pretty good soccer players. And I think you're on a right course there. Maybe we should think about opening these academies, especially like in neighborhoods that you know are have a lot of Latino kids in there whose parents grew up with the game. You know what I mean? I I think this is a pretty good idea that you're onto here. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a generation, uh, generational project that the U.S. can uh, can empower, you know, their, their soccer governing body here. The U.S. can progress in the global you know, hinterland to become a program that's that's regularly ranked in the FIFA's top 20. Mm. And, and they can do it. I, I believe they can. It's just that it's a matter of interest among the schools, the college, the yeah. the the scouting teams and mm-hmm. and opening up academies that the fever that you know that they can have. So I think what you're I think what you're saying to to us as Americans is we need to put an optimistic face on this. We got a lot of, a lot of young guys that are going to be entering their prime years of the next World Cup, and maybe it's best for us instead of you know just having this knee jerk reaction. We fucking suck. Why are we doing this? Maybe we should just have a more wait and see approach. Correct? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um. I, I believe so. Uh, you know, um, if they can, if if other t- countries like remember when Japan opened up their baseballs, yes, uh, you know when it, it wasn't that big of a right. I, I, I know it wasn't big way back before, but mm-hmm. then they, they start snowballing. They yeah, they became famous with baseball, and they can do the same thing for soccer in the U.S. Baseball is going around the world. Some you know they opening up academies. But and now U.S. turn to open up academies for soccer. That's a good idea, man. It is a good idea, and I, I can't fault your logic there at all. So before we get out of here, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your uh, Mets this coming up season. I know you're quite happy with what's going on there. Why don't you give me a little uh, dissertation of how happy you are to be a Mets fan this year? Um, I've been a Mets fan since the 80s. Uh, I haven't been this excited since what? Uh, in the 80s when the Mets were very, very good for years. Mm-hmm. And um, just uh, to see the press conference today 
I Justin Verlander mm. was um, is amazing. His yeah. Style. Uh, let me tell you something. The the owner Cohen, um, he Verlander and Senga and even Nemo had expressed that Cohen had talked to them personally, and that's how they decided to become Mets. Well, yeah, and, that and the and the uh, the huge amounts of cash he threw at them. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. He does have a, a personal relationship with these guys. Uh, I was talking to a Cubs fan last night. Uh, you know him, uh, um, J.C. Johnson on the page. And uh, he was telling me how Tyone... Uh, said he got a couple of offers, but the real difference was that the Cubs actually showed up at his house, sat down with him, and expressed how much they really wanted him. So, um, I think what you, what Cohen is doing right there is a pretty smart too. I gotta tell you, as an Oriole fan, I'm pretty pissed off that we didn't at least, at least, you know, give an honest try for Carlos Rondon, man. I, I am so disappointed uh, in my I, team this year. I, I think that that's a, a, I think that's a great contract that he was signed to. I think it's fair for the team. I think it's fair for Carlos. And I think the Orioles should have been in on that, man. I, I'm totally pissed off. But, I know you're excited as a Mets fan coming up. You got my boy Buck Showalter over there. That guy takes so much shit at the end of the year. I'm a huge Buck Showalter defender. I don't care what anybody says. I love that dude. And I truly do, Abel, really wish your team the best this year. And I wish the Orioles the same. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And also, man, I love you stopping by. I really, really appreciate it. I'd love for you to come back. Uh, you have car blanche, man. Anytime you got something you want to say, I definitely doing the WBC tournament. I, I think I'm going to have you come in here a couple of those sets, man. We're going to talk about some sure. WBC. Yeah, sure. Let me know. Dominican Republic. Man, they are monsters. They, I mean, even the pitching looks pretty decent this year. That's always been kind of their, you know, their little Achilles heel there. But uh, that team, whoa, man, the Dominicans look really, really tough. So I can't, I, I can't wait. Oh, yeah. I mean, the USA is always going to be right there. Japan's always going to be right there. Shoei Otani's going to be pitching for them. Uh, is Sengu pitching for them? I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm just curious. That may change. That may change. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, man. Thank you so much. Uh, good luck with your Mets this year. And I'll see you in March. And we're going to talk some WBC baseball, okay? All right. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you later on the page. Okay, thank you. All right, brother. Peace. And there you have it, folks. That's my boy, Abel Rosario Jr. I just wanted to, you know, thank, first of all, thank you for coming in here and, you know, and educating the, the few of us ignorant yanks on the sweet science of football here for a minute this week. Uh, like I said, I think we'll probably hear some more from this man during the WBC tournament, and that will be starting on March 23rd, 2023. And now, folks, it's time to load this train up and uh, call all aboard. As I see the catcher is ready to come down, and uh, I'm ready to add, to add the next former ball player, current Milwaukee Brewers radio play-by-play man to our collection. And i got to be honest with you, I was playing that clip at the beginning of the show, and, you know, it took everything to, like, not laugh my ass off and blow up the uh, audio for you on that, man. But that is one of the funniest goddamn stories I've ever heard. That's Artie Lang, Norm McDonald, and Howard Stern show. Awesome, awesome clip. Um, 
the majority of the audience, myself included, we never saw this dude play. We've seen him in commercials, on TV, in the movies, and of course in the booth. But we've heard the many story, stories of his playing career from his own uh, self-deprecating mouth, I should say. And look, for me and my money, he is not only the funniest man pound for pound in baseball, but he's one of the most hilarious dudes on the planet ever <laughs> in a world where, you know, it's becoming increasingly harder and harder to remain funny without offending someone. Bob Euchre has uh, refined his act through the years and his mixture of storytelling and jokes will be his incredible baseball legacy. And that is going to by far, long outlive him. When Bob Euchre was demoted back to the farm in 1961, Milwaukee Braves manager Charlie Dressen told him, baseball has no room for a clown. And clearly, that dude missed the boat on that one. We all know baseball's business, but Euchre spent more than half a century in this game reminding us every summer day that baseball, at its essence, it's a kid's game and it should be fun. The cell coin Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, is as well known by the both the casual and diehard seamheads, as well as, uh, you know, people like my mom, who could care less about baseball, but she knows who this guy is from TVs, movies, and Johnny Carson. Sports Illustrated writer William Taffy once said, Euchre is the man who made mediocrity famous. Beloved for his self-deprecating humor, Bob will be the first person in the room to make fun of his own unremarkable playing career and his stats. Bob opines often that anybody with ability can play in the big leagues. To be able to trick people year in and year out the way I did is a much greater feat. The truth is, woefully overmatched and inept on the offensive side of the ball, Bob Euchre was truly a solid defensive catcher, and he had a career fielding percentage of 981. He played for the Milwaukee slash Atlanta Braves, the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, filthy. Uh, during the 1964 Cards Championship season, he served as Tim McCarver's backup, and Euchre loves to intimate that although he was the backup, he led the St. Louis Cardinals to that championship. Even though the truth is, Euchre didn't see the field once during the World Series. McCarver, who played every inning in that series, that saw them upset the vaunted Yankees, has said on many occasions that it would be highly doubtful uh, that they beat New York in that series without Euchre in the clubhouse. And keeping everyone laughing and loosey-goosey, that was... His unique skill. And he's gone on to take his huge love for the game, his wit, his humor, storytelling abilities, to win the Ford C. Frick Award in 2003, which is baseball's uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. They present that annually to broadcast broadcasters. He's not just this one-liner guy with quips. He is truly a Hall of Famer at his craft. The man, well, he's as smooth as almost butter in the Booth, baby. To prove my point, I'm going to bring up a sample of some of his amazing calls for the Brewers throughout the years. Let me see what we got here. Uh, here we go. Here's the pitch. A curveball! the deep left! Take it high, 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 and here and gone! For dear, and they have tied it at four! 
two, two outs, four, four, ninth inning. Gantner, there he goes, the pitch, a swing and a fly ball, right field and deep, get up, get up, and get out of here, down for Swain, and they've done it again, 12 in a row, on a two-run blast by Swain, to win it, oh my goodness, holy cow, do you believe it? deals. This one is hit in the air to right center. Deep. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Gone for Maldonado. He just hit a walk off out of here. And this one is over. Martin Maldonado went out of here in deep right center against Vidal Nuno and the Brewers in 17 innings in the 17th. How about Martin Maldonado? He caught them all here today. He was in harness for all of it. He has his third hit in the game. Correction, his fourth. A pair of doubles, a single, and now a walk-off home run to win this one for the crew the final wow what a game this was final score it's 7-6 what on the has a new sign from Blanco he's ready and the numbers Morgan a smash up the middle base hit the center Listen to Bob Euchre call home runs all day. The get up, get up, get out of here, gone. I mean, it's just so effortless, and it's full of passion and love of the game, and I just love him as a broadcaster. Uh, Bob Euchre was actually the first native of Milwaukee to be both signed by the Braves as well as traded. Euchre said one of the greatest highlights of that first season was... uh, was a walk-off walk with the bases loaded in an inter-squad game in spring training. The second highlight of that year was uh, being issued an intentional walk during that spring training from the great Sandy Koufax. And his third memory was getting caught in a rundown against the Mets. 
He was very proud of that intentional walk by Koufax, but he later found out that the commissioner had uh, rebuked Koufax for the walk, and he told him if that ever happened again, he would be fined for damaging the image of baseball. Robert George Euchre, born January 26, 1934 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, although he often jokes to the contrary. Uh, he says he was actually born in Illinois, and here's the story. My mother and father were actually on a margin run to Chicago because we couldn't get colored margin in Wisconsin. Now, on the way home, my mother was with child, meaning pregnant with me, with him, her labor pain started, and my dad pulled off into an exit area. And that's where the birth took place. There were three truck drivers there. One guy was carrying butter. One guy had hot dogs. And the other guy was a retired baseball scout who kept telling my folks I probably had a chance to play somewhere in the bigs down the line. His parents, Gus and Susan Euchre, they were Swiss immigrants who relocated to Wisconsin in the 1920s by profession. Gus was a tool and die maker, but he was a hell of an athlete as he was a gifted soccer player back in his native Switzerland. Euchre acknowledges he got most of his talent genetically from his father. And Euchre loved his parents, but his father was always his hero. He often tells of his father's incredible discipline and devotion to family as he was able to support his wife, son, and two daughters on a three to four dollars a day, uh, doing that, working on cars. Bob's Bob's father never, never let him down once in his life. He remembers how the miners, he was struggling to survive on his $250 a month salary. And when his cash was running low, Gus was always there to help prop his son up. One of the longest running jokes that Euchre has up his sleeve is, and I hope I don't butcher it here, the Braves signed me for $3,000, which was a lot of money. And my old man couldn't afford to pay that, but he did. Gus wound up having circulation problems in his legs. Uh, over the years, the condition got worse and worse. By the end of 1962, he had to have his legs amputated. And a few years later, he would die, leaving a sad void in Uke's life. And he began to fill that with laughter. Euchre attended a technical high school where he played both baseball and basketball at a very high level. You know, we always just hear... Euchre with his own brand of uh, self-deprecating humor and analysis on himself. But there was actually a time when Euchre was a damn fine ball player and if not dominant on many days. And this is the beginning of that time. His parents encouraged his athletic endeavors and you would often see the teenage Euchre riding his bike to Borchard Field, home of the minor league Milwaukee Brewers, to watch his baseball heroes like Alvin Dark, Johnny Logan, Heinz Becker, Danny Murtaugh. And he loved watching these guys pursue their major league dreams. And watching these cats, it motivated Bob as he became obsessed with the game and making it to the show. He made the high school team as a pitcher. After the coach was impressed by his huge arm, and again, don't get it twisted, there was a time when Bob Euchre was a beast of an athlete. At the age of 18, he becomes a catcher for good after a teammate handed him the gear and asked him if he could do it better. And he did. Euchre always with a different story of origin for his shit. He says he was pitching and the manager came out to take him out of the game. And Bob recalls, I didn't want to come out. I was embarrassed with my parents in a stand. So I say to the coach, let me do this one last guy. I struck him out the last time he was up. And the coach says to him, yeah, but this is still the same inning. I got to take you out. And that, he says, 
was the beginning of his catching career. Uke never finished high school, which I find interesting. Uh, he's the first person I've done here at Backwards K Pod without a high school diploma. In 1954, at the age of 20, he enlisted in the Army. He hopes to avoid going overseas by playing military baseball with soldiers who are in the minors or in college. Now, folks, we've learned uh, many ways to get to the bigs and this first season here at BKP, but never anything like this. So, look, at the time, Ugar uh, never played minor league ball or gone to college. He's a high school dropout. So what does the resourceful Bob Uker do? Well, he lies. Upon enlistment, he, in hopes of joining the team, he claims to have played at Marquette. And he chose Marquette mainly because it was located in Milwaukee. Uh, they didn't even have a baseball team back then, but the Army never checked, and he made the team. He would serve his tenure by playing baseball at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri and Fort Belvoir in Virginia. And it was there that he would meet his future Cards teammate and good friend, Dick Grote. Upon leaving the Army, he signed with his hometown Braves for three grand in 1956. He also got offers from the Phillies, Pirates, as well as the New York Yankees. He then bounced around the Braves farm for about six years, where his bat it had some pop and power. 1956, his first year in the minors, he plays for two affiliates, the classy Eau Claire Northern League team, which we spoke about that team in the Hank Aaron pod a couple weeks ago. And he also played for the Boise uh, for a team in Boise, Idaho. Between those two teams, Bob Euchre clobbered 19 home runs. And folks, I just love saying that sentence. He clobbered 19 home runs. Uke has power. And 53 games for Boise, he torched the league with not only those 19 home runs, but a 312 average. With uh, Eau Claire, Evansville, Wichita clubs in 1957, Euchre drops 15 dongs. And Boise in Atlanta in 58, he hits 22 bombs. From 59 to 60, he bounces around the Braves farm on four different levels. At Jacksonville, Wichita, Indianapolis, and AAA Louisville. In 1961, he is only one team. Louisville, AAA. He is now on the brink of getting to the majors. And he's highly motivated. He bats 309 with 14 home runs that year. Finally, on April 13, 1962, all the hard work has paid off as the Braves' new catcher is ready to go scorched earth on these poor Major League pitchers. They got no idea what's coming. His first victim, and what will surely be a long line of victims, was going to be Don Drysdale. He's called in as a pinch hitter to face Don Drysdale, but he rolls over a weak rounder for an out. Nah, no worries. The next guy is going to pay for sure. So after six days off, April 19th, Euchre makes his hometown debut. The fans have packed a park to watch this young, powerful catcher and prospect blow up. And he's facing San Francisco great Juan Marichal. Euchre gets the start going 0 for 3 with two strikeouts and a walk. So the OPP, the OBP got a little bump there, but, you know, Euchre looks overwhelmed and, you know, in a harbinger of things to come, I guess we could say. Finally, with the change of the month, going into the into May, and that brought in Euchre's first hit as a major leaguer off of Phil's pitcher, Art Mahaffey, while pinch hitting for Joe Torre in Connie Mack Stadium. And I like to believe it was probably at that very moment, that very day, that Filthy began to draw plans uh, for the vet 
now that Connie Mack slash Shy Park was ruined forever by witnessing Uke's first hit. After backing up Tori and Del Crandall, Uker finished the 1962 season on a high note. On September 29th, he caught Warren Spahn's 327th career victory, passing former Philadelphia A's hurler Gettysburg Eddie Eddie Plank for the most victories by a southpaw. In fact, the light-hitting Uke was a major component in the 7-3 victory of the Buckos. Uh, Spahn would praise Uke for calling a great game, but Bob also went 3-4 for four with three singles and two RBIs. The next day, Uke got the start again, and he hit his first career home run off a Pirates pitcher, Diomedes Olivo. In total, Uke played in 33 games that year and hit 250. He made the 1963 Braves opening day roster, but he only got into nine games as a third string catcher before being sent down to, uh, in June to Denver, where he batted 283 in 52 games. And look, Braves manager Bobby Bragan, one of the central characters we spoke about last week at the Gaylord Perry Show. And real quick side note, I want to thank all of you who sent me messages about the Gaylord Perry Show. It seems to go on over very well. We got a lot of downloads and listens on that one. If you haven't heard it yet, you can go to any podcast platform to hear it. Or you can go on over to diamondsnakejake.poppy.com to get a piece of Gaylord Perry or any of the other shows in my archives. Now, if you didn't hear that show, though. Uh, this Braves manager, uh, this guy, Bobby Bragan, he had a huge impact on Kaylord's life, actually. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. And here, Bragan likes Uger defensively, but catchers Joe Torrey and Ed Bailey, they've kind of made him expendable. So on April 9th, 1964, they trade the hometown boy to St. Louis for two minor leaguers, Jimmy Coker and Gary Cobb. During his two years in St. Louis, the backup catcher was used sparingly as managers Johnny Keane and his successor Red Seendies stuck with him. Uh, he was in general, he was in general, uh, like, you know, he was pulled when he wasn't hitting, which, let's be fair, that, that wasn't often. Uh, he wasn't hitting very often. And he usually only was only penciled in if another catcher was injured or they needed a late-game defensive substitution for McCarver. In 106 at-bats, he hit 198 that year. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, Bob didn't play at all in that year's Cardinals' most improbable championship win. The Cards won the pennant by finishing just one game ahead of both the Phillies and the Reds that year. In fact, Filthy, they had a six-and-a-half game lead with 12 games remaining, but they lost 10 straight. And Bob likes to say, I never saw the field during the World Series. I sat my way through it. I caught it from the bully. The Yankees fans are throwing garbage at us, so I threw it back at them. Bob did, however, add a touch of his humorous antics to the series. During the pregame, pregame ceremonies of Game 1 in St. Louis, Bob found a tuba that was neglectfully left around by a Cardinals marching band member. He picked it up, ran out to the outfield next to pitcher Roger Craig, and he began shagging fly balls with the open horn tuba. And the Yankees are literally Mickey Mantle, uh, Whitey Ford, Billy Martin. They're dying. They're laughing their asses off in the dugout. And 
<laughs> the story has an even crazier end. You know, he's actually out there shagging fly balls with a tuba. Well, at the end of the series, everyone got their full World Series bonus check on the Cardinals. Yuka was confused, however, seeing how his check was uh, a light. It was light, two hundred fifty bucks. So Bob goes in the front office and he asks, "You know, what's the deal with the check, dude?" And Cards GM Bing Devon tells Yuka they sub they subtracted two hundred fifty dollars for the debts he left on the tuba from catching those baseballs. And to this day. Euchre is still sore about that fine. And in a 1965 exhibition game, McCarver broke his finger, and Euchre is the opening day catcher for the world champion cards. He's, uh, he's catching Bob Gibson, and it was a 10 to 10 tie, and it was called because, you know, Wrigley Field, you know, they still are without lights at this point. And it's one of Gibson's worst outings of his stellar career. He gave up five runs on six hits and three and a third innings pitched. One of those typical games that you might hear Euchre joke about all the time. And Bob himself had a typical Euchre game. In the fifth, he was caught by uh, two horse lengths trying to steal home. In the sixth, he injures himself chasing a foul ball and slams into the wall. Steve Carlton, by the way, made his major league debut for the cards that day. And he came out of the billy and he walked the only batter that he faced. Euchre hit 228 in 53 games that year. And after that season, he was traded to the fields with old Army buddy Dick Grote. First baseman Bill White. And in return for catcher Pat Corrales, outfielder Alex Johnson, and pitcher Art Mahaffey, who he got his first MLB hit off the, um, back in his rookie year. That year, 1966, was probably the closest that Uke would ever come to being a, a team's primary catcher. He had 237 plate appearances while platooning with Clay Dalrymple, who had 404 plate appearances. Euchre sums up his time in Filthy by saying uh, manager Gene Mock late in the game would be looking for pinch hit options on the bench, and he would yell, Grab a bat, Bob, and stop this rally before it starts. And my managers, this is Euchre uh, saying this, my managers didn't want me in the game. Hell, they didn't even want me on the bench. Kids in Philly would ask me often, which club do you play for? Which I would reply, nobody. But I've sat for a lot of teams. According to Euchre, he was fined by a police officer $50 for being intoxicated in public and another $400 for being on the Phillies. On June 6, 1967, the Phils traded Euchre to the now Atlanta Braves for utility man Gene Oliver. And the Braves traded him specifically to catch knuckleball maestro and future Hall of Famer Phil Negro. He had previously caught knuckleballers Bob Tiefenauer in Milwaukee, as well as Bernie Schultz in St. Louis. So he had a basic idea how to survive behind the dish with a knuckleballer. Bob once explained... Uh, you know, the best way for a catcher to handle a knuckleballer is after the pitcher throws the ball, wait for it to stop rolling, and then pick it up. Two weeks after the trade, Uke hit the only grand slam of his career of poor Rob Herbel, Ron Herbel, of the San Francisco Giants. Ron Herbel probably, probably wishes I would have got his name wrong right there. It was Ron Herbel. Spring training, 1968. March 21st, he and teammate Daryl Johnson, Cleet Boyer, they're involved in a nightclub fight in West Palm Beach, Florida at the Cock and Bull Restaurant. 
Bob was struck in the head with a beer bottle and received 48 stitches for his part in the brawl. On the field, he re-aggravated an injury. He suffered in a motorcycle accident in the offseason. And he was released on April 2nd, never to play in the major leagues again. His, uh, his last official major league game was September 29th, 1967. So, Capitalizing on his storytelling and oratory strengths, he becomes like this PR ambassador for the Braves, and he began doing stand-up comedy with his material, mostly being about, you know, this mediocre baseball player. In 1969, his broadcast broadcast career begins on WSB-TV, long before Ted Turner took on uh, making the Braves a national entity. His first partners in the booth were a young Ernie Johnson, who today now does uh, the NBA on TNT with Barkley and Shaq. And his other partner was Milo Hamilton, who gave us one of the most inspirational baseball calls ever when he pi- politely told Babe Ruth to move over for the new home run king, Henry Aaron. His career as a TV personality was beginning to take off as well when he became a king uh Comedian funny man Don Rickles opening act at jazz musicians Al Hurt's Atlanta Comedy Club starting in 1970. And you can make close to 100 appearances on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show doing an average of three to five shows a year. Johnny could be tough on young comedians. After a set, if Johnny invited you to sit on the couch, you knew you were gold. If you didn't make that couch, you might want to work harder on your material or maybe even contemplate quitting. Because... Back then, that was the mark of a great comedian, believe it or not. Who made it on Johnny's couch? And, well, look, Uke, of course, you know, he made it the couch after his very first set. And the two of them began to call Bob Euchre Mr. Baseball. Johnny Carson was as responsible for Euchre blowing up on the mainstream stage as anyone Uke has ever had in his life. Johnny was a true fan, and Uke was consistently leaving Johnny and his cohort, uh, Ed McMahon, in tears with laughter. In the beginning of the act, uh, it was heavily scripted between the two, but within a few appearances, they scrapped all the scripts, and Johnny had full trust in Uke, and he let him do his thing, and he never failed to leave an impression on Johnny's audience. So, as he's now embarking on this entertainment career, he gets a call from Brewers owner Bud Selig. And Selig always adored Euchre's passion and his witty personality. In 1970, the Brewers were in their inaugural season after Selig had purchased the team that was originally the Seattle Pilots for one season before going bankrupt. And initially... Sheely just wanted to give Bob a job, any job. He didn't know what job to give him. Just He wanted to give him a job because he loved him so much. So they signed him to become a scout. And Euchre now admits it really wasn't his thing. He says, you know, he would listen to other scouts, just repeat what they said in his everyday scouting report. And he would also, on every single report, he would write, fringe major league player. And his reasoning? That's so no one would ever be able to blame him for missing out on a prospect that went on to play in the majors. GM Frank Lane, he storms into Seelig's office one day and he says, I need to talk to you about Uke. So Seelig's like, yeah, my main man Uke, how's he doing these days? So Lane throws a stack of scouting reports across Bud's desk and says, this is a goddamn joke. And the report was smeared in mashed potato and gravy and it was totally unreadable. 
What happened was Yuke was writing the reports while eating dinner and he had a mishap and instead of rewriting all his bullshit analysis, which he couldn't remember anyway, he cleaned the papers the best he could with a napkin and he mailed it off to the Milwaukee Brewers where Lane was the first to look at it. So, with regret, uh, Seelig realizes that Yuke has a scout and it's not a good fit. So he decides to move him into the booth where maybe he could display some of his personality and stories that, that Seelig loves so much. So on September, uh, September 4th, 1971, and folks, that's going on 52 years ago, the Brewers hired uh, Bob Uecker to broadcast baseball games on radio and TV. And Uecker proudly claims today, all those years later, that he never once signed a broadcasting contract with the Brewers. And I never will. Whatever we agree on, we'll talk it out and then shake hands. In fact, I don't think I've even had a handshake in the last decade. So I find that very interesting. While achieving fame on the television, he's also beginning to grow stronger as a broadcaster. And back then, believe it or not, his weakness was the ability to find stuff to ad-lib. But, you know, Euchre would hone his craft with passion and diligence, and he loved the challenge of painting the picture for a fan, you know, who's like a few hundred miles away. That's what he always think about, that fan that's a few hundred miles away. And for the most part, and I heard this a lot during my research, uh, Euchre is pretty relaxed in the booth. He, he, he's not quick with the one-liners, trying to make you laugh every minute of the game. Uh, the real time, when he lets loose, is during blowouts. For example, uh, a 9-1 to game. is uh, That's when Bob Euchre becomes Euchre. And he begins to rattle on with something off the cuff and crazy. And it's weird, because it's like this dichotomy. Most fans like to listen to their play-by-play guy when the team is hot and they're winning. And, you know, in Milwaukee, it's almost the complete opposite for Brewers fans and Bob Euchre. A 9-1 game is just what the doctor ordered to get you going in that booth. Bob Euchre would go on to co-host a variety of TV shows during the 70s and 80s, such as... uh, ABC's Superstars, Battle of the Network Stars, Bob Euchre's Wacky World of Sports, and, of course, the TV hit sitcom, Mr. Belvedere. He would use his self-deprecating humor in hilarious Miller Lite TV spots, where uh, the beer emphasized, you know, tastes great, less filling, and Euchre always being the butt of the joke of the commercial because of his mediocre stats and mediocre career. The best things about being an ex-big leaguer is getting freebies to the game. Call the front office, bingo. And once these fans recognize me, I probably won't even have to pay for my life here for Miller. <laughs> I love them. These fans know I drink light because it's less filling and it tastes great. Good things, huh? You're in the wrong shape, buddy. Come on. Oh, I'm a big fuck roll. Egg beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less. Folks, I love those spots from back then, man. They were hilarious. And I I find it interesting that 40 years later, at any ballpark that you might visit, you may hear someone yell, I must be in the front row, or I 
you know, me personally, I used to love sitting in the upper deck of Memorial Stadium when I was a kid and yelling, he missed the tag! He missed the tag! <laughs> and it's just so funny to hear it all these years later. These sports phrases have stood the test of time, and they have become a part of the baseball lexicon of language. I've seen kids obviously way too young to know the origins of these words, and I've, I've heard them mutter these phrases. Uh, you know, obviously there's some good parenting going on there. As far as the show, Mr. Belvedere, you had, uh, he had a hit there as the sitcom ran for six years from 1985 to 1990 to do the shows and all these commercials as well as calling games for the crew. The Brewers were always accommodating and willing to let Uke explore his comedic ambitions as long as it never had an impact on his baseball job, and it never has. In 1989, Bob Uecker was handed the role of a lifetime when he appears in a movie... Uh, the movie Major League, starring Tom Berenger, Wesley Snipes, Charlie Sheen. But for me, the real star is Bob playing Indians broadcaster Harry Doyle as he steals scene after scene. And as much as I love Major League, and I know a lot of you in the audi- audience love it as well, I really don't think the movie is as great as it would have been without Uke. I mean, honestly, he stole it. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on the swing. One hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. And the release of that movie, it gave a whole new generation of baseball fans an introduction to the Milwaukee Forty Man. And just like I must be in the front row, and he missed the tag. Bob Euchre as Harry Doyle added even more flavor to our baseball lexicon. Just a bit outside, and many, many more in that movie. He would reprise his Harry Doyle character in the two sequels. The always irreverent and self-deprecating Euchre said he enjoyed making the first two movies, but Major League 3, Back to the Miners, it stunk. It was so bad that he began playing on airplanes the day after we finished it. Euchre is proud, though, when he goes to the ballpark clubhouses all the time today. And the ballplayers will be watching Major League, you know, the movie franchise, and they'll start quoting lines to him. At one point, he seriously considered leaving broadcasting and just acting full-time. But, you know, the allure of the game, no matter how good or bad the crew is doing, it's just too strong. He was once offered a broadcasting job by the Yankees owner George Steinbrenner in the early 80s, who... Uh, Steinbrenner on a road trip, uh, road trip to Milwaukee's County Stadium, he saw a sign that said, Euchre's Pukers. And apparently it was a place in the stadium where they celebrated their hero, Bob Euchre, and they drank $1 beers all night. Steinbrenner, the boss, he thought that was the funniest thing he ever saw. And you know him, man, he's always looking to prop his Yankees brand. So George pursued Euchre, which... It kind of pissed off Sealy, but Bob insists that the Brewers were never in any serious threat of losing to losing him to the Yanks. He just wanted to kind of look around in, in someone else's store. The acting and comedy has been a thrill in Euchre's lifetime, but in the end, spring in Milwaukee. That's where it's at. That's his favorite place and thing in the world. In the 1990s, Euchre helped call the 1995 and 97 World Series with Bob Costas and Joe Morgan. In 2003, he receives the prestigious Ford C. Frick Award for broadcasting and a plaque in the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Of course, uh, 
His speech is off the hook, and I didn't put it here because it would have went way too long. But I'm telling you, if you haven't heard or seen this speech, this Hall of Fame speech, do yourself a favor, get on your Google machine and search bar Bob Euchre Hall of Fame speech. And I'm telling you, it's amazing watching all these type A Hall of Fame studs in tears from the laughter. I mean, Eddie Murray who's about as steady as a person emotionally as I've ever seen in my life. He's doing everything not to fall on the ground laughing. Raleigh Fingers, Brooks Robinson, Al Kalon, Juan Merchow, Sandy Koufax. He got all the big boys in the palm of his hand with his speech. And Yuka would be the first to admit his skills were shite compared to these legends. But now they are in his world, on his stage, and he owned it. He had all those dudes in tears. Literally. You gotta check it out. And my favorite story during his induction was when his sons were younger playing Little League Baseball. Their team went to the championship game and he was in attendance. He said one son committed two errors and the other one struck out three times including the last out. And after that last out, Euchre jumps to his feet and yells like, Father my sons! And he says it was one of the proudest moments of his life. He finally remembers... Um, walking the boys to the car, and their teammates' parents began throwing eggs at them. And he says, that was one beautiful day in the Euchre family. <laughs> in addition to the Ford Frank Award, he's been named Wisconsin Sportcaster of the Year five times. He's been named to Wisconsin Performing Arts Hall of Fame in 1993, Wisconsin Athletic Hall of Fame in 1998, as well as the National Radio Hall of Fame in 2001. And he can brag about something that he has, but Pete Rose, the hit king, does not. In March of 2010, Bob Euchre was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Of course, Pete Rose has that same WWE induction, but he doesn't have that Baseball Hall of Fame induction now, does he? And if you would have told anyone, you know, back in the 70s, that uh, uh, Bob Euchre would be in the Hall of Fame and Pete Rose, you know, people would have thought you were the most insane person ever. They just thought you were incredibly dumb. In 2006, in recognition of his 50th year in baseball, the Brewers placed the number 50 in their ring of honor in celebration of Euchre. Three years later, Euchre's name was added to the Atlanta Braves Wall of Honor. His call lines for home runs, get up, get up, get out of here, gone, are inscribed uh, in the lights above Miller Park. However, in full acknowledgement of their hero, the greatest uh, way to memorialize Euchre here, they offer fans the Bob Euchre seats at Miller Park. For a mere dollar, you get to sit in one of the 106 obstructed view seats in the upper terrace level behind home plate. That is hilarious. And I think that's where I'm going to wrap it, wrap it up, folks. I got to tell you, I am a huge uh, Euchre fan. And he's getting up there in age, but he hasn't lost one ounce of his baseball passion. As a guy in baseball, you know, storytelling business myself, I'm just a huge admirer of this man. I surely hope that some of that rubbed off on you as well this week. And seeing Bob Euchre in the Brewers booth, it just means baseball is back and all is right in the universe. So, let's take a look at Bob Euchre's career stats. Brace yourself for these amazing numbers. 
Six game play coming out with the Milwaukee and Atlanta Braves, the Phillies, and the Cards. A negative one wins above replacement. So, right off the bat, funny as fuck. I mean, that is so Eucharist, right? A negative one war. <laughs> 297 games, 843 plate appearances, 65 runs, 146 hits, 22 doubles. Never had a triple in his pro career. 14 home runs, 74 ribs. Never stole a bag in his big league career, but he was thrown out three times trying to steal. Again, very Eucharist. Hilarious as fuck. 96 walks, 167 strikeouts, a 200, 293, 287 slash. <laughs> a 287 slug. <laughs> 581 OPS and a 63 OPS plus. So, look. Pretty amazing what this guy has been able to do in Major League Baseball with those kind of numbers. And it's funny. I was, you know, I had to take pause there for a second. I told you that Euchre had 14 career home runs. But three of those blasts, they came off some of the greatest pitchers who ever played. Fergie Jenkins, Gaylord Perry, and Sandy Koufax. And when Hank Aaron asked his teammate, Bob Euchre, how he even met that Koufax ball in front of the dish, Euchre shouted back, I just did what I always do, baby. I close my eyes and I swing as hard as I can. And I got a clip here of Costas asking Euchre what it was like to take those three legends downtown. Your best for the best. I just wanted to do it. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to do it. I don't know why I did it. I could have done it a lot of other times. But it, those three home runs against those guys, I mean, I, I, I apologize to Sandy Koufax to this day. I, I always thought that might keep him out of the Hall of Fame. So I always tell him I'm sorry I did it. Um, but, I mean... Normally, when I came up against, I remember one night in Dodger Stadium, I came up with the bases loaded and two outs, and we're down by a run, and as I get to home plate, I look in the Dodger dugout, and they're all in their street clothes. <laughs> so, uh, evidently, <laughs> they, didn't have, they figured it was over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but with, yeah, Sandy, I had a fastball. I had a fastball off everybody, uh, pretty much. Gaylord Perry. Every time I see Gaylord Perry, he tells everybody, or if we're sitting in a restaurant, he'll point me out in the restaurant and said, there is the worst day of my whole life. Not his baseball life, his whole life. Because I hit the home run against him. Yeah. But it was really good. And that's totally believable, because if you remember from the Gaylord Perry, that's a cantankerous dude, man. You know, like, he's bitching out his teammates for making errors, and I know he absolutely detested giving up a home run to Bob Euchre. That man was as competitive as he comes. So, that's a funny-ass story. Not the worst day in his baseball career. The worst day in Gaylord Perry's life was the day he gave up a home run to Bob Euchre. And there you have it, folks. Another topic in the books. So glad to have Euchre in our collection now. There are plenty of videos out there on Euchre. Many articles from both print and digital. Plenty of stuff to learn. And uh, I highly encourage you to go out there and research. I want to thank you guys for stopping in this week. Uh, 
It's been a blast. I hope you enjoyed hearing the story as much as I enjoyed telling it. I want to give a shout out to my boy Ava Rosario for coming through and educating my dumb ass on World Cup soccer. Thank you, brother. I can't wait to have you back next year. And you know what? You know, this is it, folks. We're down to the last show of the very first season of BKP with Bob Uke in the rearview mirror. I now have turned my attention to the last show as we're going to close out the season examining the life of one Jolton Joe DiMaggio. And wow, so much to cover there. I'm excited and nervous at the same time. I mean, look, you don't want to fuck that Joe DiMaggio money up, baby. He's an icon. So research, it literally begins today on the big fella. But look, that's another story for another pod here at Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch looking bored AF, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shay Hillebrand told me, uh, one-on-one here at BKP a couple weeks ago. You go to hell, Andy Pennant. See you next week, Seamheads. Peace. So the tide drops its third straight on this pitch. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on the one hit. That's all. We've got one goddamn hit. 